0: And then this is where I'm going to put the intro music. Mm -hmm. listeners. Grab your beverage of choice, dim the lights, and get ready for some Spirited Spooks. Hi, hello. Alright, okay. we're still new at this. Welcome to episode 2 of Spirited Spooks.
1: Episode 2, yes!
0: We made it past 1. <laughs> oh, and we're on more than one platform at the moment.
1: Oh, even
0: better? Uh, yes, I am waiting on confirmation from three others. Nice, nice So that will nice. be more available to be listened to. Nice. So I updated, I believe, I don't remember if I did the anchor page, but I updated our Twitter to our new link tree specifically for this podcast. Nice. Okay. Uh, what are we talking about tonight? Ah, Oh, we are talking about a whole haunting. Okay, so uh, wholesome hotel hauntings. Like, not every spook that we cover is going to be about something scary or, like, dangerous. Sometimes it's just going to be a friendly ghost, as is the case for tonight's episode. Yeah. And I figured that, you know... If we're going to be talking about wholesome hotel stuff, we might as well have something that I know originated in a hotel in Hawaii, nonetheless, because neither of our topics are in Hawaii.
1: Uh, yeah, it
0: will be <laughs> so so I have our cocktail already made. it's the remainder of it is sitting in the fridge. I don't. I'm not trying to drink mm-hmm. all of this because for yeah. me, this is a lot of alcohol and it does not taste like it. So it is very dangerous. I still have work tomorrow.
1: <clears throat> and so do I. So let's not get too effed up.
0: <laughs> okay. So tonight's spook juice is a blue Hawaii that I'm calling a dim style. It's made with one cup of vodka. Tonight we're using sky. Uh, we it's also got one cup of a. Light rum. So I'm using the Flor de Cogna, uh white rum. It's a half a cup of blue curacao. I, it's just some random brand of blue curacao. And then one and a half yeah. cups of Dole pineapple juice because Dole is a mm. part of our upbringing being from Hawaii. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also, it is the best pineapple juice you can fight me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: Listeners, future audience, you can fight me over this. You will lose. You will never be able to change my mind about this. Dole pineapple juice is the best. And then, sorry, there's still one more ingredient. And that is a quarter cup of sweet sour mix, which I just finished making earlier today, right after I finished getting home from work and winding down from that.
1: Okay, so... Um...
0: And the reason I wanted to use this cocktail is because I was aware of this story. So, the Blue Hawaii, not a Blue Hawaiian, a Blue Hawaii, was invented in 1957 by Harry E., who was the head bartender of the Hilton Hawaiian Village, formerly the Kaiser Hawaiian Village.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. 1957 19- was back when it was still Kaiser, before <laughs> the Hiltons took over. Okay. And uh, that, the Hawaiian Village is in waikiki where the sales rep for a dutch distiller named Bowles asked him to design a drink that featured blue curacao and the hawaiian village has a pretty oh wow okay i just totally skipped over it all right cool so i get to outlive this part because thank you for not taking good notes stoned me um <laughs> from what i remember he was asked Specifically to feature Blue Curacao, which was a brand new liquor to hit the market. Um, he wanted to do this and figuring that Hawaii was, you know, one of the number one travel destinations and it being and Blue Curacao being tropical, he wanted to especially get like a good take to have a wow. you know, the Asian tourism yeah, wouldn't yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. consider it to be tropical just of because it's Caribbean. <laughs> Yeah. So having the head mm-hmm. bartender at the Hawaiian village like be the one to create this, that's somebody who's making a universally tropical because Hawaii <clears> is <throat> the biggest melting pot in the universe.
1: True that yeah, yeah. You're right so, about that one.
0: Anyway, it goes on that he made this drink, and then a few years later on, somebody did the blue Hawaiian, which is a variation that uses coconut milk. Sounded interesting. What? We might Give that one a go a different day. Yeah, I yeah. do, I've got the recipe down already. <laughs> yeah, of course anyway, you do. Sorry. So the reason I chose this is because that was our Hawaii tie-in, but also to give it our spooky edge, the Hawaiian village has a pretty well-known ghost there, which is, of course, a lady in red. If you're new to listening to Supernatural things, then here's a shocker. There's always a lady in red. There's always a lady in white. Just no matter what kind of a story it is, there will always be a lady in red and or a lady in white. Anyway, this lady in red is a little different. And husband, you will love this. (laughs) So she is said to walk the halls and the beach of the property in her red muumuu. And she vanishes into thin air when you try to get a better look at her. Now, a lot of people say that this is Madame Pele, and a lot of other people say that this is the ghost of a uh, kupuna from when the Waikiki area was a fishing village. Yeah. So it goes back and forth between this could either be Mm -hmm. Madame Pele herself, or it could be a spirit of a a kupuna. I figured, you know, uh, Madame Pele is the vengeful goddess of lava and fire. Yeah. But she's also a very major part of Hawaii lore and legend. So that could be really fun to get into. We will definitely be covering different aspects of Hawaiian mythology and legends and all of that in a different episode at a later date. Probably when we can actually set aside real time to dig in and do a very, very deep dive. Yeah. Anyway, the others who say that this is a kupuna from when it was a fishing village that's just as wholesome like she doesn't bother anybody she just walks around wearing her red dress or her red moo moo and is just she's walking around and when you take a second look she's just gone i can edit all of this part out don't you worry Take a breath because it's almost time for you to read your notes. Actually, before we get into your notes, how do you like your drink? But
1: I'm sipping
0: strong. I'm fighting to sip on it. I I wanna down it. I want to drink it all so I can have more. But
1: remember, we have a podcast to do. I'll be able
0: to function, don't you worry. Okay. Okay, and go away. You okay in there? Yeah, just so you're just um Husband. Yeah. Hey, are you ready to keep going? Yep. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and start us off about the wholesome hotel haunting.
1: So this is one of the Queen Anne. Do you
0: get I have never heard of that. Well. Oh. So why don't you go ahead and uh read us your notes, babe. Are you ready? Whenever you are ready, my love. It's,
1: how did her James G. Fair oh, always <laughs> but It's okay, keep going. Who made a of money from a silver mine? Cosmic Nevada.
0: The Comstock Load. Comstock? Yes. You said cosmic. Comstock Load. Looking in Nevada. But how do you like it? I suppose you're going to have to <clears throat> try that again, but louder. I know. You're mumbling. Shit. It's okay. <clears throat> Shake it off. <clears throat> well, you hit your vape, take a couple of deep breaths, and just. Relax, all you have to do is read. Oh, <clears throat> okay. Whatever you're ready, <clears throat> editor James
1: G. Fair, who made a pot of a money of his summer miles of Cosmo, looking at Nevada, built an elegant boarding finishing school, Torian architecture. So, he basically built this school for <clears throat> girls in 1990. The boarding school opened known as the Mary Lake School for Girls, mainly so his daughters Virginia and Tess could move to Texas to be near if she Fair wanted to spend more as a relationship brain family dynamic. So yeah,
0: I' interrupt you. Like this senator opened a school yeah, mostly so that his two teenage daughters could move to San Francisco and be close to him. Exactly. Like, that, I'm sorry, but that's not being a dad.
1: Well, I kind of, like...
0: Like, I understand that due to fine family dynamics, that, like, I don't know the whole story of what was going on, but, like, I don't think opening a new school is the way to get your daughters to spend more time. Maybe it was just to give them an excuse to move to the same city. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just... Going off the wild, <laughs> and, you and fine needed to have a little quick break. So go ahead and continue on. Read the rest of your notes.
1: So, Henry J. C. Fair had a favorite mistress.
0: Oh wait, okay. I was gonna ask you earlier why it was called the Mary Lake School for Girls. I was gonna ask if, like, there was a exactly. lake named Mary. But okay, his favorite mistress, as you. Do when you're trying to get closer to your teenage daughters. I mean, sure, yeah. go ahead and open a school named after your mistress at you know, okay,
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm totally like...
0: Okay, I'm sorry, I that thought? was my interruption for the second <laughs> time. You can keep going. So, anyways,
1: um, Mary Lake became the headmistress in charge of teaching 100 well-to-do girls the behavior of women from upper class society. So she
0: shipped the word try again. What? There. No. Yes.
1: So very late became the headmistress in charge of teaching a hundred well-to-do girls the behavior norms of from the upper society, including etiquette, social skills, polite.
0: Husband, I love you. How much of your drink have you had?
1: I still have a half.
0: Okay. Do you need me uh, to keep highlighting, or can you go on by yourself? I can. My okay. F- <clears>
1: hey,
0: <throat> you. <throat> I even mean, write. I highlighted the word that you need to go to next. She? Uh-huh. From there, keep her re- She truly
1: enjoyed teaching him that she loved the girl earnestly. So, was very
0: careful. Oh, it, it would seem so. I mean, if she was a headmistress. So, like, I'm just picturing, like, Lady Dumbledore
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: like she's just she's very caring she's very like thoughtful about the students and you know with only having a hundred well-to-do girls as her students like she can totally get to know each and every single one of them she can totally be a kind caring person to each and every one of those hundred girls
1: Breaking on that um so he is considered the most caring girl. so I our guests find their clothes. Okay, wait. Already ordered From there. <laughs> However, the school closed in 1896.
0: Oh, so like six years later.
1: Yeah, exactly. Can I
0: repeat that? I
1: mean, if it'll help? However, the school closed in 1896.
0: Okay, 1896. So like the school was only open for like six years.
1: Correct. Sure. So the wishes of Mary Lake. Hold on. Good.
0: Here, whole sentence.
1: However, the school closed in 1896, probably because of punishment. got All
0: right. I mean, if the guy only opened that or mainly opened that school so that his two daughters could get there, I mean, yeah. Like after six years, they're probably done with that school. He was probably right. just like, I don't like. Nope. It accomplished what I needed, and stopped pouring money into it because i'm willing to bet that it was a money eater
1: yeah i mean i would imagine as well right
0: oh i mean well he's a senator
1: yeah no
0: i i don't think that when it said that he opened it i don't think they meant that like he financed it i think that he like was the one pushing for it from as the senator and being like come on let's add to education and stuff I think that's True. what they meant by he opened it. True. Yeah. Again, I I don't have all the facts. I don't know anything. Um, I'm just speculating. Keep reading, my love. After the highlighted, Cormier was crushed when school was
1: canceled due to the in San Francisco.
0: Wait, one more time. The whole sentence, or sorry, the last two sentences, because that's like kind of powerful.
1: War Mary Lake was crush it broke
0: her heart she's oh yeah that's the part that's super like i understand how painful that can be like imagine putting your all into this school that's named after you and then it just closes like that's a lot i i would have to upend and just be as far away from that place and any reminders of it as i possibly could but the
1: building sold a few years before the destructive earthquake. So, this building
0: actually survived an earthquake. That's a whole 10 years later.
1: Oh. So, the 19th, this Earthquake, which leveled many to the great damage, that building was the only one intact.
0: That's pretty amazing. I mean, San Francisco is like peak earthquake destruction right. zone. Right. Coincidentally. One of my stories has to deal with California. Oh, cool. It was unplanned.
1: So, the hotel is now a tourist hotspot. You're going to go rent a room there. Wait,
0: hold on, what? They they turned the school... Wait, no, the school got destroyed, though.
1: Yes, but now it's a hotel. They built it back up.
0: Hence, the Queen Anne Hotel. Gotcha.
1: Mm-hmm. and we can
0: actually be there okay and it's in san fran we can totally go to san fran i know right cool it's a good time right. i mean we can plan for it we're not going to just up and go we do have lives yeah this is a sad part of what right. i finish up your notes so that i can go pee and then we can take care of my notes because yeah. mine are long
1: so the biggest thing college of is on the fourth for some reason, she just loves that floor. Like I said before, oh, no, I didn't. No Guests get tucked in when they never... Of course, we carried about the next earthquake. Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Try that uh, all over again. Because that was confusing from my end.
1: Which is uh, Mary Lake, the fourth floor. That's her hang-up.
0: That's kind of cool that she has her own little area and it's like right? a whole floor.
1: Right, um, there the likes to tuck people into kind of creepy but kind of caring in a way.
0: Wait, what do you think? I'm so sorry, say that one more time. She likes to tuck people into bed. Okay, I wanted to make sure I heard you correctly because number one, that's very creepy, number two, that's also very comforting. Like, right? if I were to. You know how dead I am when I am sleeping. Oh, yeah. Like, if I were to wake up and just be like, oh, somebody tucked me in, like, guarantee I would feel comforted. And then I would find out that it was a ghost. And I'd be like, okay, that's that's not okay. Like, ghosty, thank you for letting me be comfortable and tucking me in and making sure I'm warm and like a wonderful bundle of something. Yeah. So, but also, like, ghost, do not do that. I have you for that, husband.
1: So, um, besides that, they also have their stuff folded and tucked nicely in their suitcases, ready.
0: Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for helping me pack. Okay, the last time that we traveled yeah. was our wedding trip, and we only took two suitcases. Yeah, I remember that. But, like, imagine staying in a place where we had, like, four suitcases each. Like, I don't want to do all that packing by myself. Thank you, Miss oh, Mary no. Lake. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for helping me pack.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Miss Mary Lake has that. She likes to pack their luggage ready to go.
0: And Also, side note, I really want to know if she's, like, rude about it sometimes. Because I can totally imagine somebody just being like, oh, cool, and we're checking out later on today, right? And then just, like, all of a sudden, everything that they have is packed and at the door, and it's just like, come on, come on, out the door, out the door.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but, um, no, not this ghost, and he's also considered the most caring ghost ever, because of (laughs) all.
0: like we're going to talk about a lot of ghosts in the duration of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Miss Mary Lake and I am going to call her miss because she was a mistress. So, yeah. Mistress Mary Lake, um like that sounds like the most wholesome ghost of all. All she tucks you in at night. She makes sure yeah. that you're all packed up and ready yeah. to go. Like that's that's so wholesome.
1: Makes your heart kind of, like, warm up doing it. It does.
0: And when we get back from our quick little restroom break, <clears throat> um, I've got your not one, but two stories for everybody. And the reason I have two is because I did the first one, and it ended up being just, like, two stories, maybe three. And I only found a count of three that I could, look like, that could be verified. So I decided to do two because the second one is similar and kind of just like with me coming from working in restaurants for the last, like, better part of a decade. It's been kind of nice to read about a, like, hotel in Ghost that likes to chill in the restaurant area. Anyway, we're going to go take a quick bio break. Also, I may need a refill. All
1: right, we're about to
0: Cue the hold music. Okay, now it's time for my notes. Go on. So like I was saying earlier, I did all this background research, and it ended up only having like three ghost stories. And I was kind of disappointed because there's only three occurrences of ghost stories that I could verify. So I did a second one, but I'll get into that one later. The second one I think is a lot of fun. Really? All right, so the first one I'm going to do is probably one of the most famous locations in modern times. And by modern times, I mean the 1900s. What? Yes, from right around World War I era to now, I believe that this is probably one of the most famous, if not infamous, locations. Because these notes are on chateau marmont in los angeles california so before i dig into the history do you know where chateau marmont is in california or one of the most famous things about it i do not you could So, Chateau Marmont... Sorry, I'm I'm gonna intersperse it between my history notes and the actual, like, fun stuff because I didn't put the fun stuff into my notes for some stupid reason.
1: It happens.
0: So, here's a little history on the Chateau. In 1927, Los Angeles attorney Fred Horowitz uh, returned from a European trip where... He was just amazed by the architecture, all the European settings, and just all that beauty. And very specifically, a very certain chateau. So in, sorry, he got back to L.A. in 1926. In 1927, the year following his return from Europe. Sorry, I had a burp. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like a tequila burp. The tequila burp was better. Also, I'm on my second glass now.
1: on so my first.
0: I don't think I'm going to keep to sipping it. I'm just going to go all in. I'm going to put on my computer glasses. So of... You say that now. Wait till what? I have to get actual glasses. Then I'm going to be just fucking drop dead sexy.
1: No doubt about that.
0: So, husband, I don't think you're aware. I have a thing about guys who wear glasses. Like, I don't know what it is, but somebody who wears glasses, it just, it does it for me.
1: Wait, what?
0: Yeah, I don't know why.
1: Uh, word I word glass. I hate know. Them. I hate them.
0: I know you do. And that's perfectly fine. Okay, that's enough of that tangent. Yeah. No. So let me reread my notes because now I can make it made sense by reading all in one go. Yeah. So in the year 1926, Los Angeles attorney Fred Horowitz returns from a trip to Europe It went on for some amount of time. Uh, The following year, the attorney, Fred Horowitz, commissions his brother-in-law, Arnold A. Weitzman. And just to put it out there, this is a Horowitz whose brother-in-law is a Weitzman. This is L.A. in the 1920s. I'm not saying or trying to make any connections. I'm just pointing at the information in front of my face, which is Horowitz and Weitzman in L.A. Anyway, Harowitz uh, commissions his brother-in-law Weitzman, who is a European-trained architect, to design an apartment building on Sunset Boulevard at Marmont Lane. And this was because he was very specifically inspired by a picture he had taken on, of a Gothic chateau along the Loire River. And I had to watch a lot of shit on YouTube to figure out how the hell to pronounce this French word. <laughs> so I did find the name of the actual Chateau. I just didn't put it in my notes because I'm a bad note taker when I'm stoned.
1: That was good.
0: But I did at least put in the phonetic pronunciation of Loire, which is spelt L-O-I-R-E. Oh. All right. So continuing on my notes. Uh, in. On February 1st, 1929, so about two years after he first commissioned his brother-in-law, Horowitz opens the Chateau Marmont to the public, offering it as, quote, Los Angeles' newest, finest, and most exclusive apartment house, superbly situated, close enough to active businesses, to be accessible and far enough away to ensure quiet and privacy, End quote. Over 300 people, including press, passed through the site on the day that it opened. Uh, two years later, in 1931, the Great Depression has made it hard to keep tenants long-term, so Horowitz sells the building to a Mr. Albert E. Smith, for $750,000 cash. Which, that was in 1931, was 750000 In today's terms, that would be $12.76 million. Yeah, And he paid it cash. What? Yeah. And so the new owner, Mr. Smith, converts it to a hotel. So in the years that it was... Oh, nope. I'm getting ahead of myself. During the renovations to transform it from an apartment building into a hotel, they converted the apartments into hotel suites. So they had kitchens, living rooms. They got refurbished from the Great Depression era uh, estate sales. And so, I mean, like, that was people were losing money like crazy during the great depression it was horrible people were like they couldn't afford their own homes so a lot of people had to sell everything that they owned in estate sales and everything was dirt cheap so like the we're talking antiques that were considered antiques in 1931 so we're talking like 1800 like early 1800s and 1700s that these antiques are that they're just buying up and refurbishing this with
1: wow well i mean it work oh yeah uh in the
0: 1930 there were nine spanish cottages and a swimming pool that got built right next to Chateau Marmont and they were later on acquired about a year later Er, sorry sometime over the next decade during the 1940s uh chateau marmont was sold again in 1975 to a real estate development firm for 1.1 million and it was sold again in 1990 so that is all the history and background that i have notes on for chateau marmont uh I can add in the quick little stories here now. And by now, I mean magic of editing now, because I don't remember where it is. <laughs> Wait, what am I, I can do this the way easy. So some of the fun Chateau Marmont, uh, stories that I want to get into before I actually talk about the three separate occasions of a haunting that was verified because here on Spirited Spooks we make sure that we have verified haunting stories. or Verifiable haunting stories. So, uh, after (laughs) I gotta find it. So, it was... Nope. So why am I on the Wikipedia? Okay, so I think it was this one. So, uh, Chateau Marmont. Some of the fun stories. Um, yeah. So, one of the most famous things that happened there was, and this is actually part of my note, so excuse me. Uh, in March fifth, nineteen eighty-two, comedian John Belushi dies of an overdose in Bungalow Number Three. Ooh, what? So, John Belushi. Yeah. You you would you very well know his name. Yep. Yeah. Uh that's where he died of his overdose. It was in bungalow number three, which is haunting number one starts out. I apologize to listeners. I'm going to be inconsistent. I will get to the other stories and the fun stuff after this first one. So no. uh John Belushi died there in 1982. In nineteen ninety-nine. Nope, I'm going to read that one later. So, John Belushi dies of an overdose in bungalow number three on March 5th, 1982. About one week later, Al Franken, a comedian, ugh, these burps are not tasty. Let me try again. Al Franken, comedian turned politician, has his own ghost story of Chateau Marmont, in which he says that he was staying in bungalow number three a week after John Belushi had died. Remember, again, this is the same bungalow that Mr. Franken is staying in. That's the same one that John Belushi died in. Franken says it was late at night when he was woken up and that he saw John Belushi standing over him. But by the time Franken put on his glasses, Belushi's figure had just disappeared.
1: Oh, that's creepy as hell.
0: Okay, so... Now that we've gotten that first spook out of the way, here's a fun story, and I think you'll really like this. uh, so for rebel without a cause uh, la, la la, let me read you this real quick. One of the most iconic films of the decade was largely written, conceived, cast, rehearsed, and in some ways lived on the grounds of Domontrand writes Love. In 1952, writer-director Nicholas Ray moved into a bungalow after finding his second wife, actress Gloria Graham, in bed with his 13-year-old son Tony from his first marriage. Gross! We're gonna move past that because, uh -uh, not touching that. I would skip that sentence had I known what it contained. He rebounded quickly with stars like Joan Crawford, Marilyn Monroe, Jane Mansfield, and Zsa Zsa Gabor. Not long after he got his studio pitch for Rebel Without a Cause approved and began meeting actors and screenwriters, uh, Mr. Nicholas Ray met James Dean. Then writer, er, sorry, then, comma, writer Stuart Stern, entered the mix and began work on a screenplay. Uh, Nicholas Ray was big on entertaining industry folk in his bungalow and hosted Sunday gatherings where uh, James, James Dean, Dennis Hopper, and other actors would often show up. As the movie's script progressed, Ray started to use his bungalow as a rehearsal space. Now, from what I've read, apparently Mr. James Dean Went and threw himself out the fucking glass pane window as one of the scenes or something like that.
1: Is like an icon. You're telling me how you are is is what do you mean? So, anyways, you're telling me that.
0: So, in the Chateau Marmont, the movie Rebel Without a Cause, yeah, that's where it was majority of that movie happened at Chateau Marmont at some point during all of that. I believe it was during the, um, what do they call it for actors? It's not an interview. Like, not the reading. Screen. Screening. During, no, not screening. No. He was doing something, and he apparently jumped through the glass pane doors and took a very bad tumble to be in that movie. All right, we can move on. Sorry, that was really (laughs) bad. So in 1999, there was a family that claims that their toddler was laughing by himself while sitting alone. When the parents asked him why he was laughing, the little toddler responded, the funny man, and that's in quotes. The funny man is all in quotes. And curious and wondering what he was talking about, the mom went to one of the ledgers that had pictures of all the celebrities that had stayed at Chateau Marmont. And like Chateau Marmont was the place to go. It was also the place where celebrities could get away with doing shit. Like how uh, Betty Betty Davis set Chateau Marmont on fire two times. Not one time, but two times. What? Uh Uh-huh. So, like, stuff happened here. Anyway, so, like, celebrity story, she's flipping through the book. And when she got to John Belushi's picture, the little child, the toddler, like, was yelling out, That's the funny man! The funny man! So, in 1999, this little toddler is sitting alone in the bungalow and laughing. And it's because the ghost of John Belushi was there, making him smile and laugh.
1: What? To me, that's
0: really nice and wholesome. It warmed my heart that John Belushi, being a ghost to this little toddler, is like I'm going to make you laugh and smile. And then, so I do have one final bullet in my notes for this. Okay. So on January third in two thousand four, German American photographer Helmut Newton was driving back to the hotel when he lost control of his Cadillac and crashed into the wall along the driveway of the Chateau Marmont, dying instantly. Uh, Helmut Newton was a well-known photographer. I want to say he was from, like, majority of the work he did was in the 1970s and 80s, or 60s, late 60s, 70s, and early 80s. Pause. Ooh. So he crashed his Cadillac into a wall on the driveway. Um He, I believe he was driving drunk. I don't remember. Don't quote me. Don't at me. Don't fight me. Uh-uh. I don't. I'm not sticking to this one hard enough. Husband. Yes? Put the phone away. Our food is here. I thought you were making food. Anyway. So, hey, oh, yeah. Helmet Newton drives his Cadillac into the wall in the along the driveway of the Chateau Marmont, where he died instantly. Damn! Uh, Since then, hotel hotel guests claim to see a man looking remarkably, like Newton, walking around looking dazed and confused, some of them saying that they've seen the same man bleeding as he was walking around, and he was... And I do say he to refer to both of these figures, be they the same or separate. He was walking around near the bungalows. Uh, My understanding, again, is that the layout of Chateau Marmont. I've not been through L.A. I don't know the layout. I've never been to this place. I haven't even looked at maps. I did not do a deep dive. I believe the bungalows are along the driveway or are closer to the driveway where the accident happened, like the bungalows may be between the driveway and the actual Chateau Marmont Hotel. Yeah, And I have one last little bit to wrap the Chateau Marmont notes up on, which is some guests have complained about the click of a camera by the pool. That's not the one I'm ending on. And others even say... That they can hear laughter and the clinking of glasses late at night with nobody there. And most of the guests and hotel staff like to just assume that the clinking and laughing is coming from John Belushi and uh, Helmut Newton just enjoying their time being at Chateau Marmont, a place where both of them have gotten away with a lot of devious stuff. Uh, No, no. All right. One of the other things that happened at Chateau Marmont before we get too far away. Okay, wait. Nope. We already talked about Betty Davis almost burning down the hotel. Not (laughs) once, but twice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Led Zeppelin's wild partying got them kicked out of the main building. What? Uh, Not that one. That one's not important. Already talked about Helmut Newton and John Belushi. There was also something about Lindsay Lohan and um, Britney Spears. Like, oh, oh, Billy Wilder slept in the lobby bathroom. That is one of the headlines for this. (laughs)
1: Look
0: it in. Like Chateau Marmont is creepy, but it's also really cool. It's very, it's very pretty. It's very like European-esque. I don't know So much about French castle, but like it definitely looks like something that could have been in the newest edition of Beauty and the Beast, like French ish. It was that more vague European style architecture. Yeah, well, all right. Anyway, we're done with that one, Chateau Marmont. I love you. You were a lot of history, not much on the ghost stories. So I looked for something else that was a bit more ghost story and less history. And I found what is currently called the Sun Tavern of Dexbury, Massachusetts. And everything in the northeastern quadrant of the U.S. is just ridiculous being as old as it is. So let me get into this with a little bit of history. Sure. So the front of the inn, the primary building, was built in the year 1741 as a private uh, residence. And oh. I did some digging, and it is a far- it was built originally as a farmhouse. Oh. This was, let's see, 1741 was like 480 years ago, as of this recording yeah I almost 500 that. years like this is a 40 score or uh, nope 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 wait yes mm-hmm. a score is 20 wait i need no i'm not gonna do math to turn it into a score so this is yeah. 480 years so 24 score Yeah. Boom. yes 24 score
1: okay
0: And that's relevant because 1741 was before the United States of America were the United States of America. So towards the end of the 19th century, over 180 years later, the location gained some fame with with the publication of an article in the Boston Herald I have to scroll because I did this incorrectly with the naming of the article. Mm -hmm. So the article's title in the Boston Herald, as published on Sunday, October 21st, 1928, article was titled, Last Duxbury Hermit Flies His Flag, A Union Down, and They Find Him Dead. What? Now that I have your attention with that, And I quote. Whoa,
1: wait, why?
0: And I quote. For some time, Duxbury folk knew that all was not well with Lysander. Uh, Lysander being a Mr. Lysander Walker. Mm. So Lysander Walker. Sorry, I'm breaking off of the quote. I didn't include the whole thing. And that makes me very sad because it was actually really cool and very, like, well-rounded and well-versed. Uh, nope, I'm sorry, that's the very next sendi- sentence. So, and I quote, For some time, Duxbury folk knew that not all was not well with Lysander. After the death of Lysander, getting on with age, refused to venture forth from the home, which had shelved the house. Its presence was a signal that Lysander needed provisions from the local store. On October 3rd, 1928, Which was 18 days, so just over two weeks, or just over, yes, just over, right around three weeks beforehand, uh, 11-year-old Gladys Belknap, or Belknap, Belknap, uh, last name is spelled Mm B-E-L-K-N-A-P, I'm going to pronounce it as Belknap, because that just makes phonetic sense to me. Anyway, right. this 11-year-old girl named Gladys saw the flag hung Union Down at the corner of the house. Do you know what Union Down meant? No. Okay, neither did I, so I had to look it up. Union Down means the stars side down. So hung upside down, which is the international symbol of mourning. Or no, not mourning. A uh, nation in distress.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like... Us guys are in so a
0: a flag being hung or being flown upside down means we're in need of help.
1: Yeah,
0: and this was notable because, again, this was a hermit who had sealed himself in the home, and the only time he ever put the flag out was when he needed something from the corner store, and on this day, October third, back in nineteen twenty-eight, and. 11-year-old Gladys sees the flag but is hanging upside down. What? So Gladys ran home and told her family, which was a number of siblings, I don't have the exact one, as well as her parents, and they rushed over to Lysander's house. And upon entering, they found Lysander Walker on the sofa, sitting down, holding, still tightly gripped, The loaded resolver from which one round had been fired.
1: What? Let me,
0: let me. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead of myself and I shouldn't have. So now that I've broken it down, let me go back and I'm going to do the whole quote in one go. All right, before I do that, I'm halfway down my second cup of our Blue Hawaii. All right. So I'm actually just going to redo the whole bullet. So after. the farmhouse was built in 1741. In the Towards the end of the 19th century, the farmhouse becomes famous thanks to an article that was published in the Boston Herald on the morning of Sunday, September, October 21st in the year 1928. The article was titled, Last Duxbury Hermit Flies His Flag Union Down and They Find Him Dead. My quote, or what I have from the article is, also, I'm going to make this part of the drinking game because our podcast is totally, definitely, and a bajillion percent going to become a drinking game. Mm -hmm. And I quote, for some time, Dexberry folk knew that all was not well with Lysander. At after the death of his wife, Lazander, getting on with age, refused to venture forth from the home which had sheltered him for so long. The children of the neighborhood always watched for the American flag hung at the corner of the house. Its presence was a signal that Lazander needed provisions from the local store. On October 3, 1928, 11 year old Gladys Belknap saw the flag hung Union Down at the corner of the house. The locals entered the home and found Lysander seated on the sofa. Beside him, still tightly gripped, was a loaded revolver from which one shot had been fired. Lysander had signaled one last time in a way which would never be forgotten. End quote. Uh, since then, the tavern, because again, this place went on to become a tavern, has received a postcard from Miss Gladys that confirms this story. Husband. Yes. Did you hear that? Yep. What did I say? Um... Okay. Oh, no, I can tell you. So, the tavern, because it's built on the same property as that farmhouse... Yeah. ...Lizander shot himself in the morning of October 3rd, 1928, and... At some time between then and now, the owners of the tavern had received a postcard from that 11-year-old girl, Gladys, who was among the people... Or She was the one who originally saw the flag hung Union down. She was one who went and got her family. They were among the first group of people to walk in to see him dead sitting on the sofa... Still gripping the pistol that would have fired a single shot. So next bullet point in my notes. The same year that Lysander Walker died, the farmhouse was purchased by a father, Francis Keegan, as a summer resident. Having drank a decent amount tonight, the following phrase is very difficult to pronounce. Father Francis Keegan. I'm not going to say that anymore. Because Father Francis yeah. is rather difficult, and also we're not going to talk about your dad. Get it? Because your your yeah. father yeah. is Francis. Yeah. I get it. So, Father Francis, uh, Father Keegan, as he will be referred to from here forward, bought the farmhouse as a summer residence. Uh, a couple of months later, Father Keegan handed it off to a Miss Mary Hackett. So, not mary lake like your story but also mary hackett that was not planned i i honestly didn't even realize that till just now nice so father keegan hands it to mary hackett and mary hackett was just this lady that father keegan happens to befriend and father keegan ends up financing mary's education at the salem state normal school yeah so father is just like paying for her school and was like hi you're my friend now also like here's this farmhouse that i just bought and let me pay your way through after doing some research i found out that salem state normal school is one of the schools on the salem state uh univer like it's a collegiate level so it's college level so I'm going to, this is my actual notes. Now I'm going to quick fire the next few owners and what the, what is they operated the farmhouse as. So in, from 1930s to 1964, Mary Hackett, the Mary that, yeah. from Father Keegan. Uh, Father Keegan had suggested to her that he, she run it as a restaurant and she did and it took off and it blew up and it blew up what? partially because this residence this farmhouse was in the middle of a whole bunch of cranberry field or cranberry well, yeah. farm plantations i don't remember the exact words
1: what are those?
0: but for the cranberry thing and yeah. it it was doing really well because it was like home style cooking. Right. And so in 1964, a Mr. David Wells buys it from Mary Hackett because Ooh. Father Keegan had gifted it to Mary and then Mary after 34 years of running a well established very successful restaurant, uh David Wells picks it up in 1964. Yeah. Holds it. Until 1973, at wow. some point between those two points in time, from 1964 Ooh. to 1973, the it gets renamed to be both the Fiddler's Green Restaurant, which had been targeted at being kind of an English golf style, like very... English, British style, but out on the golf course. And then again, it was renamed this time to Buck's Tavern. That was at some point between 1964 and 1973. So throughout the span of nine years. Uh, In the year 1987, it was renamed to the Sun Tavern, which is the name that it is It still carries today. So in 1996 to 2001, it was owned by a Larry and Carol Friedman. I didn't have much between them, like for the years between 1973, honestly, to 1996. So I'm missing a good 23 years, other than it being renamed. I don't know where it was for that time. Uh, The Freedman couple, Larry and Carol, owned it from 1996 to 2001. They did not own it for about eight years. And then in 2009, until currently, they have owned it again for the second time.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So just a few years ago in 2017, uh, Gary James bought out just the restaurant side of it so the remainder of the hotel remains under the ownership of the freedman's but gary james owns the restaurant portion and as for notable hauntings and some of these are kind of cool because they're noted by the owners like this first one david wells the guy who bought it from mary is also responsible for putting this house on the map of, like, this is a place to visit because we probably have a ghost. And by probably, I mean totally did because he straight out said that, uh, come visit this hotel and you can meet the ghost of Lysander Walker. I'm paraphrasing that. All he claimed was that the spirit of Lysander had remained there. And his proof of this was that Uh, During the nights that he would close down the restaurant, Uh, David Wells is the guy who owned it from 1964 until 1973. He is the one who renamed it the Fiddler's Green Restaurant and quite possibly also the one who renamed it Buck's Tavern. He claimed that after closing down in the 1960s to 1970s, He would put out all the candles in the dining room. Uh, All the tablecloths would be put up nice and square. All the tables were cleared, all of that. But as soon as he was getting ready to leave, he would go from the dining area to the back door, which is how he would exit. And a single candle from the tables would reignite and just light itself. And that's notable because he would put all the candles on the side. Like, all the candles got put together, and they were all right next to each other, but only one of them would relight. Um, Another story that I have of the Sun House Tavern, as it is currently called, is that late one night, the police were called to investigate the alarm going off. After searching and finding nothing at all. The officers closed the doors to the inn and began heading down the pathway back to their cars along the driveway. Both officers, upon turning away to walk, or upon turning to walk away, had heard footsteps coming from inside. So they turn around, they run right back, they go inside. This time they've got their guns drawn, they've got their lights up. Nobody is there. Oh! And these police officers swear that they heard the pitter-patter of feet running across.
1: What? Yeah,
0: creepy. just like, that one's not so wholesome. That one's pretty creepy. I wanted to have at least a little bit of creepy. Was... Um, Speaking of creepy, I know how you are about some of the horror films that I like to watch. Like the creepy, creepy, skin-crawly ones. Oh yeah. So this next bullet is specifically for you. Well oh. in nineteen ninety-six, after the Freedmans had taken over, the basement had flooded. So they had run some lights and a sump pump to suck out the water. Uh Larry had gone down to the basement just to make sure that everything was working fine and dandy. He's wearing um what are those things called that fishermen wear? Like waiting, waiters, W A D E R S. Uh, like the overalls that are made out of rubber. I don't know. Anyway, he was wearing those and was going through the basement. And while he was down there, and it had flooded again, they had just taken over not long ago. Larry says, and I quote All of a sudden, the light goes off, generator stops, water stops, and I'm yelling up through the window. Not a word. I don't hear a word out of them. Suddenly, I feel these arms around me. End quote. Larry's wife and brother-in-law, who were standing right outside the basement window, next to the generator, swear that the generator had never stopped that night. Like, while he was down there, they swear it had not stopped. So, my logic putting one and two together is Mm. that, He went down into the basement, had this experience where it stopped, the lights stopped, the water stopped, everything stopped. And he felt arms grab, like go. Ooh, sorry, that was a burp. Like he was down there in the flooded basement. The generator that powered the lights and the pump had gone out. And just he feels arms around him. And as he's yelling out for help, he doesn't hear anything. Now, the people that he's yelling to who are outside his wife and his brother-in-law swear the generator never stopped so that's some super creepy Oh,
1: weird weird
0: but in 2009 the not the in 2009 larry friedman had started letting paranormal investigators come onto the site uh before this he was saying that he didn't want them around it for fear that they would be disturbing the spirit, or causing the hauntings to get worse. So in 2009, he started letting them come into the site, and I quote, sorry, and I quote, they went down to the basement, and the basement is a trip in itself. It's an old basement. It's an old stone wall. Most of the staff won't go down there. But they did a recording down there, and they heard a young, a very young woman A very young girl's voice say, Larry's coming, Larry's coming, which is mind-blowing. And then, a man's voice, an older voice, saying, get out. What? I'm guessing that was Lysander, end quote.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, could have well been.
0: And then, there's this other side little shoot-off. I'm sorry, I'm almost done, I promise. So... Uh, Lysander Walker is not the only ghost who has been known to be seen around this particular tavern. Also of note are Mary and Elizabeth Williamson. And they are two girls that died of scarlet fever in the house in the 1700s. And they're said to haunt the inn, specifically the second floor. And currently, I believe this article was from last year. So as of 2020, the second floor was currently, or was at the time, bathrooms and an office. I have one last little bullet and then like three last little bitty things and we're all done. So my last bullet from my notes is, and I quote, One busy Saturday, my bartender starts screaming. Larry! Larry! I run up to the bar and there's a man choking, Larry Friedman said. Quote, I was just about to give him the Heimlich maneuver when he spit out his food. He turns around to me and says, thank you. I said, I didn't even get to touch you. He turns to the woman next to him and says, thank you. And she said, no one touched you. He said, someone hit me on my back. End quote. So now, this is an account. From Larry, involving not one, not two, but three separate people. Um, One of the customers to the tavern is at or to the tavern's restaurant is chewing and choking. And as Larry comes up to help him out, he spits out the food. He tries to thank Larry. Larry didn't have a chance to touch him. He turns to thank the other person next to him. She didn't touch him. She said nobody touched him. But she's the guy who was choking on it said someone hit me on my back. And like, if I'm choking in a strange place while I'm eating, please, for the love of God, I don't care how spiritual or demonic or whatnot, stop me from dying. (laughs) All right. So I'm just about done, my love. Can you hold out for like two more minutes? Yep. All right, so majority of this was taken from direct quotes from the article of the Boston Herald, posed as made public, as published Sunday, October 21st, 1928, in the article, Last Duxbury Hermit Flies His Flag Union Down and They Find Him Dead. Um A lot of Majority of my research also came directly from the Sun Tavern's uh, website itself. The article named above, so the the actual uh, public, the actual newspaper clipping of the article that was posted on October 21st, 1928, as well as the Lysander Walker's death certificate. Both of those items hang as decor in the restaurant. Yeah and for this episode i would like us to end on a quote and this is a quote by one mr larry friedman and i'm going to raise the end of my second glass of this delicious blue hawaii and i will offer this to you as cheers as we end episode two of spirited spooks i think Lysander walker and the two girls are very friendly i know they're happy the building's occupied and things are going on, so, my All love. Right. Down the hatch. Here's to wrapping up episode two. All right. I, don't know. I was wondering when we should do our cider episode. Oh.
1: Oh yeah. Oh my god, babe. Ooh.